Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about adapting piano teaching games to suit your students. You can find the article that goes along with this episode at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 169. Or if you're not a member, colourfulkeys.ie slash 169. Hey there, beautiful teachers. Welcome to another episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. It's so great to have you with me this week. And if you're a new listener... Be sure to let me know how you get on with your first episode in the comments underneath this episode on the site. Today's topic is one that I think anyone using games in their studio will be pretty familiar with. You find a game online, in VMT, or elsewhere around the web, or you make one yourself, and you find it in the back of your wardrobe years later. I don't know why it got in your wardrobe, but anyway. You've found it. And it looks perfect for your student. Your student is struggling with intervals, and this one covers intervals, and that's awesome. And you're really excited to use it with your student until you discover that actually the scope of this game is too big for your student. Or it includes intervals, yes, but it also includes note names that you don't want to cover with your student yet. Or, for some reason, the graphics or the style or the format or the rules just aren't a good fit for your student. So in this episode, we're going to go through lots and lots of different ways that you can adapt games to make them work for your student. Inside Vibrant Music Teaching, we have almost the perfect game for almost every single scenario, but there are always going to be occasions when it goes outside the norm or you just have a very specific idea in mind for your student, or you need to get multiple students together, or as we'll go through later, you and the student are playing together and you need to make it work when you're not the same level, clearly. (laughs) Or a sibling is playing with them and they're not the same level. So we're going to go through lots of different ideas today so that you can make games easier or harder and other adaptations that you can do to make games suit your student. We're going to start by making things easier. What can we do if a game we want to use with our student is just too hard? 
One way to get around this is to just not use every card in the game. That's right, these are going to be simple ideas. So you just go through the card deck before you start the game and pick out the ones you want to include and don't include the other. For example, if it's a game with note names and you only want to include the spaces because that's what your student is working on or struggling with, or you only want to include landmark notes, or it already is only landmark notes, but you don't use the bottom and top line landmark notes. You use the spaces at those points, so you don't want to confuse your student with those, right? Now, I'm not saying that we always need to do this. In a lot of cases, it's fine for a student to meet a concept that they haven't otherwise met through a game. And we don't need to linger on it. We don't need to insist that they understand it right there. We just introduce it, explain that we don't expect them to know it already. Here's what it is. Let's move on. So often I hear teachers fretting because their student hasn't met absolutely every concept in a game. Even when the student doesn't need that concept to be successful in the game. So I don't I do want to discourage you from worrying yourself over details like that because it's still exposure and it can be useful in a many contexts. But when it's not, just remove some of the cards. It's totally fine to do. And yes, it may mean that you need to flip over the cards, shuffle them and flip them back over more times during gameplay. But so what? No problem. Your student can show off their shuffling skills if they have them. Another option is to mix two games together. So you can use the cards or some of the cards from one game and combine them with the cards from another game or use them instead of them. This won't always work one-to-one and there's a reason the cards are designed the way they are with one game versus another. So you need to understand the game rules. Don't just do this on a whim in the middle of a lesson because you won't realize what the pitfalls are, right? You won't realize the gameplay or maybe there'll be a fun card included in the original deck that makes them go back a few spaces and without that the game's just not fun. So you do need to check through and see whether it's going to work on a one-to-one basis or whether you need to swap some special cards in or out or change the rules a bit. Now if you're comfortable doing that on the fly I think that's okay. However, you might end up wasting some lesson time, so I would advise to do this in your lesson planning time. The next option is to encourage some cheating. No, of course, I don't mean real cheating. I barely believe in real cheating. I'm talking about using what we call cheat sheets or answer sheets. So for many students, they might not know every concept in a game, and This could be a great way for them to meet it for the first time or to actually embed that knowledge for the first time. So if you take out a cheat sheet, your student can review it before the game starts and try and remember those for the rest of the game. So they're starting to push the terms from their short-term memory into their long-term memory. Yes, those things won't stick fully and immediately because they just read them and then them right it's kind of like cramming for a test but if they do that a few times they will start to stick and especially if those are reinforced in different ways as well you can also use a cheat sheet though and just have it there during the game and let your student use it this is like an open book test and it is perfectly valid as a method of working on a concept i like to often put the cheat sheet just off to the side there's no punishment for looking at it and there's no case of me dissuading them from looking at it, 
but I don't put it in front of them so that if they do already know the answer, they're not going to look at it just as a reflex, even though they do know that particular answer, but it is fully available to them and they can just turn around and look at it. Our cheat sheets that we use inside Vibrant Music Teaching are used across multiple games to make it easy for you to just slot them into whatever game you're doing. So if a cheat sheet is relevant and going to work for the game, it will be linked underneath the game for members that are listening. It'll be linked underneath the game. It says download the cheat sheet and it will either give you the beginner cheat sheet or the early intermediate one or whatever's relevant for that game. And that will have other answers on it as well, but that's totally fine. And you can use it then in multiple games, multiple scenarios. It also provides a great simple checklist or simple way a reference point for parents who are working with kids at home, whether they're playing games or doing something else. If the parent has that cheat sheet on hand, if they're not musical, if they're not aware of a lot of our music theory rules, they can use that to look up and help their kiddo when they get stuck on note values or landmark notes or whatever in their theory homework or in their pieces. Another option to make games easier is to simply repeat them more times. Too often I think us teachers maybe get excited about the newest, shiniest games and while I think that's great and there's a reason why I add five new games to the Vibrant Music Teaching Library every month, I know novelty is important for us and our students and we also want to cover lots of different concepts in different ways as well, but there's no harm in repeating. Students are not unimpressed by the same game again. They still think it's fun. They love to repeat it. It's great. As long as you don't repeat the same game at every lesson all year, if you're doing the same game for, say, three weeks in a row, very few students are going to be annoyed by that. They're going to love it. And so you can do a game that's a little bit more challenging, not a huge challenge, but a little bit of a challenge, and just do it at several lessons in a row and your student will get more confident each time. So there's four ideas for making things easier. What about if you need to make it harder? What about if it's too easy? If you need to challenge your student a little bit more, here are four great ideas for that. Number one is to add a timer. Speed is of the essence. And for some students, this will stress them out, but most will find it a fun competitive element to add, and it'll really drive their adrenaline and make it even more fun. And it's also really useful because when we're reading music or working on many musical concepts, if we're going to actually use them in our playing, we need to do so very quickly. Say we're reading a piece, well, we need to be able to identify intervals like that, just snap instant recognition or note names or anything really that comes up. The faster we can do it, really the better. So set a timer. I suggest starting with 20 seconds per turn. That's pretty generous. And then you can reduce it or increase it from there. But 20 seconds is a good starting point, which feels pretty tight, but not too tight for most games. Now, it totally depends on the game. So if it's something they do need to puzzle on for a minute, that's fine. You can set that timer and you can have it like as one of those little buzzer timers that you get with games if you happen to have one of those or an egg timer if you have a very short time frame one or you can use an oven timer or maybe you play chess and you have one of those speed clock things 
Are they just called speed clocks? I don't know. Someone can tell me. But if you happen to have one on hand, maybe that would be a good option. Now, option number two for making your games that much harder for your students is for if you are the one playing against your students. And that is to just use your full powers, use your full abilities. A lot of the time when we're playing games with our students, okay, we're we're trying not to show it, but we're kind of half doing it. We're not trying our fully hardest because we know that would be unfair. And I'll go into more modifications for if you need to make it easier on your students in that scenario later. But if you have been doing it where you're basically letting them win or trying to sway the odds in their favor, take it away. Don't give them extra bonus points. Don't fudge your answers. Don't have penalties against yourself. And don't go slower on purpose. Actually use your full teaching abilities and challenge them to beat you. Option number three is to get them to expand their answers. I love this one. So I'll often do this actually in a multi-level scenario as well, where I've students at different levels and the cards show, say, note values. Well, for one student, they look at that note value and all they need to tell me is it's ta or it's one beat. But for the other student, they need to tell me it's ta. We say ta when we see it, it's one beat. It's called a crotchet. Right? So that's just one example. Or maybe it's it's music definitions of music terms and they see a P on the card. Well, I can ask them to just tell me it's piano or just tell me it means soft or quiet. Or I can add other things onto that as well. So maybe I insist on both the Italian and the English. And on top of that, they need to explain it in their own words, what it means. What do we mean when we say play softly? How does that sound? And then maybe they need to also explain how they would play it. How do we make a softer sound on the piano? And then maybe they need to demonstrate it. So they need to go over to the piano and play piano. (laughs) They need to actually show me a soft playing or they need to sing that way. Or maybe you need to take it even further and they have to tell you for each one what the related terms are like pianissimo, mezzo piano, etc. So you can see how you can easily add on additional requirements to make games harder and harder and harder as you need to. Option number four is similar, but a little bit more randomized. And this is where we add our own bonus questions. So let's say again they turn over that card that says piano on it. Well, maybe we ask a completely unrelated question as a bonus question after they get that one right. So we can say, hmm, and what does it mean when we see two dots and a double bar line together, right? So we can ask something else that they're supposed to know at their level. If you're going to do this, this bonus question option, I really highly suggest you occasionally throw in a, a wacky one. So yeah, that is piano. And what color is my piano without looking at it? Or, what color is the, my dog's collar? Or, do you remember my first name, if they use your last name? Or, do you remember my last name, if they use your first name, like with me, right? Maybe they don't know my surname. I'd say most of my students don't really, because we don't really use the whole Ms. Canton thing over here. 
But yeah, adding on silly questions every so often and other theory questions as you go through is a great way to level up a game. Now let's talk about a a different kind of adaptation. Let's say your student needs to move more. For many students, especially young ones, getting up off the piano bench and coming over to a games table or a games bench or sitting on the floor to play a game is not quite enough movement for them. Now, it does provide a change in environment, and especially if they're sitting on the floor, which I really like as an option, because it means they can lie on their belly sometimes. I don't really stop them. If they happen to be wiggly, I don't mind if they keep changing seating positions and sitting sort of untidily. Like, that's not the point, right? They're not sitting at the piano right now. I don't need them to have amazing posture. I want them to get those wiggles out. However, for many, that is not enough. So you can definitely add extra movement into your games. And I'll give you three great options for that. My favorite one is coming last. Here's the first one, though. The first one is to act it out. So whatever the thing is in the game, you can choose an action that they need to do along with giving the answer or moving to the correct spot or whatever they're doing in the game. So for example, if the answer is an interval of a fifth, maybe they have to do a star jump. And then for an interval of a fourth, I don't know, maybe they need to jump straight up in the air with their hands in the air. So it's more like there are four. You can make these things up on the spot and you can even take student suggestions if you aren't feeling inspired that day. Or if you have something that more directly relates to movement in the way it's described, like high notes and low notes, you can have them stretch up and crouch down to represent those. So there's lots of different ways that they can act it out. Another option, option two for movement, is to use some kind of props. Balls and rhythm instruments and other things like that are great for this. So again, I would suggest an action to go with specific things. Let's say you're practicing time signatures. Well, then maybe they need to bounce a ball twice for duple meter and three times for triple meter. Or maybe they're working on rhythm and you can get them to tap out that rhythm on a drum or with any rhythm instrument. And if you're going to do this, I suggest putting it off to the side so they're not, they have to stand up or walk over to it in order to play it. It's not just sitting beside them, so you aren't getting that bigger sense of movement. Or maybe you're going over dynamics and you can get them to shake a maraca really vigorously for forte and gently for piano. Could even get them to do a diminuendo, crescendo. Those are great to practice with a maraca. So there are always ways you can bring these things to life with a physical object or a prop. And it makes the whole thing much more interactive and sticky in terms of the learning for your student. Okay, my third option is one of my favorite things in this whole post because it is so simple that teachers laugh at it, but it works. Sometimes teachers kind of snort in my face in derision as I make this suggestion and then they try it and they're like, oh wow, they really, that works. That happened actually with a teacher who works at Colorful Keys. Like he's up for trying anything, he's a good sport. And um, I said this idea to him at one of our training sessions and he said, all right. Like he didn't really react to it, but he wrote it down in his notes, tried it next week, comes back and says, Oh my gosh, that was the bomb. That was exactly the right fit. So here's what it is. You just put one part of the game on one side of the room 
and the other part of the game on the other side of the room. So the game board is over on the floor in one corner, and the game cards are in the other corner. Yes, it sounds silly, but they need to run, race as fast as they can to go get the next card, and then race back to you, tell you the answer, and then move their item on the board. Or say you're playing something that's not game cards and things like that. Let's say you're working on rhythm and you've got these rhythm cards, like rhythm vocab cards, for example, and they need to identify which one it is you're clapping or playing. Well, put them in different corners. Have them race to the particular one that you're clapping or playing. Anything can be put in different corners once you realize this trick and start to use it, honestly, it will make the world of difference for your weekly students. And you can do it every few minutes. You can play a quick game, a quick round of a game like this, and get a lot of those wiggles worked out. Okay, last section here is to make it fair. And this is probably the one that I get asked about more than any other, which is how do we make it fair when we've unevenly leveled students, or it's us and the student playing against each other. And I know this is a big concern for many teachers who want to join Vibrant Music Teaching because of the games, like they're particularly interested in that area of what we offer, but they're worried that they only do solo lessons. And will they really be able to play games with their student? Is it really going to be effective and fun for the student when it's just them? And it absolutely can be. It's still going to be fun for your kiddo. So don't worry about that. But there are definitely things you can do to make things more even. Whether it's you and your student. Or it's siblings. Or it's multiple levels of students uh, coming together for a group workshop, buddy lessons, anything like that. So the first and the simplest option for groups of students that are uneven is to use a multi-level game. We have loads of these inside the Vibrant Music Teaching Library. So you just go to Level and change it to multi-level and then you will see all of them right there. You can keep scrolling for quite a while there with all the different options. If you have a game that is multi-level already but you don't have a perfect level for a student, you can totally take the cards out of another game as we talked about earlier and put them into that multi-level game to provide even more flexibility. Another option for multiple students at different levels is to make one of them the leader. If you have, say, a group of beginners and you have one older student or one student who's further along coming to a workshop, so I would tend to organize my workshops by age as much as possible, but not by level. So I could have a group of eight-year-olds who've all just started and then one eight- or nine-year-old who's been learning since they were five. So a lot of this stuff is old hat to them, but There's a lot we need to cover with the beginners. So putting them in charge of the game gives them a whole new level of understanding of it. It might seem like, oh, well, they already know it. But when they have to teach it, they're going to understand it that much better. So they get to be the leader of that game. That's their distinguished role. And then all the other beginner students get to learn from them. And they learn in different language than they normally do which is really beneficial for them because I'm not teaching it, right? So it's not teacher talk, it's student talk. And sometimes that will make more sense and make things gel in a new way. Now, I would caution you against this strategy if you have, say, the opposite scenario. So if you have a bunch of students who are all like intermediate and you have a 
one beginner in the bunch, it doesn't work to have that one of the intermediate students teach the beginner. They're going to feel so discouraged, especially if they're all the same age. They're just going to feel like the odd one out, like everyone else started so young and I'm too late for this. Not even, even if they don't think like that, they might have some bad taste in their mouth from the experience, really. So I wouldn't do that. In that scenario, I would try to give them some easier cards so that they're really doing the same game together. We're all at different stages and that's totally okay, but no one is teaching anyone else. Okay, two more options for you and those, these are both ideal for teacher-student games. The first one I'm calling Catch Me If You Can and there's actually two variations here so we could say there's three options left. These variations of Catch Me If You Can both come from members of Vibrant Music Teaching because this discussion came up in our forums a little while ago. And so the first option comes from Valerie. She said, I have to give at least one incorrect answer on one of my turns. If they can catch me and give the correct answer, I have to go back and they get a bonus turn. So you see, Valerie is playing the game as usual and she is answering the questions on her turn. I tend to just make my students answer all the questions, even my ones, by saying, oh, and what did I get? But I love Valerie's option here because she does give the answer to her cards, her questions, but she says one wrong on purpose, at least one, she says. And so if her students say, hey, that's not what that means, they've caught her out and she has to go back one space or back to the start or whatever you want to do in the particular game and they get a bonus turn. So I love that option. The second variation on this comes from Emily. Another member who said, I tell my students that whenever it's my turn to give an answer, if they can say the correct answer faster than I do, they get to steal my point or move forward while I stay put. This has really incentivized them to stay engaged in the game and to learn concepts thoroughly enough so that they can be faster than me. My students have loved doing this because it still gives them a chance to beat me without it feeling like I'm purposefully holding back. So that's another, it's almost a variation on the same idea, but done, implemented slightly differently. Emily is saying that she gives her answer. She's going to answer the question, same as Valerie, but she's going to maybe pause a little bit, right? And if they can give the answer faster, they get to steal the point. So they need to keep paying attention the whole time so that they can try to steal the teacher's points, which I love. And then my last little bonus tip for you is about bonuses. So bonus points and penalties are really simple and quick and non-game dependent almost option for you. If you're in a last minute spot and you're about to play a game and you realize, oh, this is not based on chance, it's based on skill. So this is not fair for me to play with my student. I need to alter something. Well, just make it bonus or penalty points for you or for your student. So for example, if you have to roll a die, maybe your student gets to roll doubles every turn and you only get to roll one. Or maybe you have to deduct one from your score each time if it seems like it's going to be too big a difference if they do doubles. Or maybe they get to take a bonus step for answering the correct cards the cards correctly and you don't get to answer the cards at all. 
There are lots of simple ways like this that you can think of on the fly of doubling or minusing or holding back or stepping your student forward that are going to make the game that much more even. Your one thing of the week this week is to pick out one of those 15 ideas. Yes, 15 different ideas. You get to pick one. Pick whichever one sounds the simplest and the easiest and the most useful to you in your studio. And don't overthink this, okay? Just pick whichever one immediately grabbed you and you said yeah that sounds like a great idea or that would solve a particular problem I have and use it this week in your studio right away use it with at least one student and then let us know how you get on with it we would love to hear your thoughts in the show notes for this episode it's at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 169 or colourfulkeys.ie slash 169 or you can find me on Facebook and let me know there in the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers group or on Instagram at colourfulkeys. I'll see you there. One of the awesome benefits for Vibrant Music Teaching members is that they get an exclusive member magazine every month. This magazine brings together our blog articles in a way that is digestible and super actionable. If you want to become a member and get the magazine as well as all the other benefits, you can go to vmt.ninja to sign up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.